This is the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to reduce public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hello and welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast brought to you by the Leaders Institute and fearlesspresentations.com. I'm your host, Doug Stannard, president of the Leaders Institute, and this is the podcast that helps people just like you get rid of public speaking fear and increase your success by increasing your confidence when you communicate. Now, I know a lot of you are graduates of the Fearless Presentations two-day public speaking class, and a lot of you are folks who have kind of been listening to the podcast for a while and have heard us talk about the two-day class, but I mean, it have probably thought, eh, you know, that's just not really convenient for me or whatever, right? So I would encourage you, if you haven't yet looked into it, the two-day Fearless Presentations class is really one of the most effective ways to help reduce public speaking fear and just become a more professional speaker. Now, we have a few classes coming up that, um, for instance, uh, later this week, we've got a class in Philadelphia. It's actually full, so you actually won't be able to get into that one. But uh, we've got classes in Portland and Chicago and Miami. Those are the three next few classes that are coming up. Each one of those classes has maybe one or two spots left. So if you want to go into any of those three, you want to kind of jump on it. The ones later in the month or next month, uh, the Denver and Minneapolis and Charlotte and San Francisco, those are classes that still have quite a few seats in them. So if you're interested in attending any of those, any of those classes, you really want to kind of go to fearlesspresentations.com and register for them because the seats really do fill up very quickly. So Doug, what's today's hot topic? So on today's podcast, we're going to cover nine really reliable ways to add audience participation to your presentation. Now, audience participation is really one of the most effective ways to make a good presentation into a really stellar presentation. However, it also has a lot of danger, so you need to be careful with it. A good, thought-provoking, open-ended question to the audience can really help persuade even the toughest audiences. However, if the audience believes that the question that you're asking is being used to manipulate them, then they're going to respond in a really negative way or, or maybe even shut down entirely. So also, just to just kind of as a warning here, we're not really talking about question and answer sessions, you know, the Q&A session, especially the ones that a lot of times folks will put at the end of a, a presentation. This is going to be a little different. These, this, these are audience participation processes or techniques that you can use while you're actually presenting during the presentation to get the audience really involved in the presentation. So you can actually alter it on the fly if you need to in order to really hit the hot buttons of what the audience really wants. So these are nine really reliable ways to get the get your audience members really involved in the presentation. So the number one, the number one most important thing that you can do to really get the audience involved with your presentation is to ask an open-ended opinion asking audience participation question. So open ending open ended meaning that there's more than one answer. So we're not just going to ask a question that only has one answer and not only is there more than one answer that you could accept but the answers that are being offered are going to be opinions of the people in the audience. So they can't be wrong basically. So anybody can have an opinion. Every opinion is right. 
Uh, now, you would think, I, I know what a lot of people think when, when we first introduced this concept to, to folks, especially when we're doing this in our, in our presentation skills classes, is like, if all we're looking for is opinions, then, you know, how are we actually getting to the meat or the content of the presentation? And one of the secrets that we figured out years ago that works so, so, so well is if you ask an opinion based on a really, really well-designed bullet point, It'll give you exactly what you need to persuade the audience that what you're saying is actually true. I, I'll give you an example. So let me kind of break that down before before I jump into an example. Let me kind of break that down a little bit. So if 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 the if the technique that we're talking about, if if this um, is if the the bullet point that we're using as our audience participation question is a really well-designed bullet point like what we've talked about here on the podcast and what we've talked about in um, in blog posts. If you looked at the fearlesspresentations.com website or if you've been to a Fearless Presentations class, the, the way that we encourage people to design their bullet points is to create a statement that's provable, something that you can actually prove, and also include into that statement a result for the audience or some some what we call it the why you know why if i if i'm a person in the audience why do i even care about this so i'll kind of take you through a a very abbreviated version of what we've covered on previous podcasts here so let's say that the standard bullet point that that most people would come up with is um let's say i'm teaching the the um how to design a presentation and one of my bullet points is to have five or fewer bullet points in a presentation so that's the that's the point that i want to make well that's that the way that most people would would put that up on a slideshow is they just put five bullets or five or fewer bullet points or five or fewer bullet points in a presentation something very simple it's not really a provable statement, though. It's the 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 bullet point will be much better if you make it into a statement that you can actually prove. So, if I were going to um, to to do that, I'm gonna have to say, okay, what's the benefit to the audience of having five or fewer bullet points in a presentation? What is one of the major benefits? One of the major benefits is that the presentation or the presenter, anyway, is going to be more concise. So, if I know that is the case then I can just change, alter that bullet point just a little bit so it gets me a, a, a better result. So I, it might say something like, limit your presentation to five bullet points to become a more concise speaker, right? So I'm saying the same thing, except now the result is in the bullet point. Um, if you've if you've uh, been to one of our classes, and one of the things that we, we talk about very early on in the class is, is how to give a persuasive speech, and and uh, we, with a persuasive speech, a lot of times we're going to use an example or a story, and then we reinforce that with an action or a, or a behavior that we want the audience to partake in, and then tell them how they're going to benefit. So it's basically the same type of thing here. When we, when we create our bullet points, we're creating an action statement with a benefit to the audience. So basically what we're saying is the action I want you to take is limit your presentation to five bullet points. If you do that you're going to become more concise, right? But I just shorten it down into something that's more manageable. Limit your presentation to five bullet points, you become a more concise speaker. So at this point, it's an open-ended question, and now it's now easy for me to turn that into a question because all I really have to do is take that well-designed bullet point and put the words, in what ways would, in front of it. So in what ways would, limiting your presentation to five bullet points, 
help you design a more concise presentation. So all I'm doing is instead of telling the audience this, now I'm just asking it as a question. The neat thing about this technique is that now I've kind of turned the tables on the audience. If I were going to give that as my bullet point, then I would have to now prove that to the to my audience. I would have to prove to them that if they limit their 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 uh, presentation to five bullet points, they're going to be more concise. So I'd have to give an example or a story or maybe use some analogies or some of the other impact ideas to actually prove that. I'd have to be able to, to prove that bullet point. However, if I just ask the question to the audience, now every answer that they give me will help me reinforce that that bullet point is true. Now all of a sudden I don't have to I don't have to prove it to them anymore. Now they are proving it to me. So if I want to be if I want to gain consensus on a bullet point, turn that bullet point into an opinion asking question, and you'll likely get a much 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 better result. So works really really well. Now the second technique that I that I use a lot, especially in training and teaching is what we call the think right share and think right share it's it's a fantastic way to get your your group to really give feedback to you so now before i explain the technique let me kind of discuss why it's it's a valuable technique or why 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 it's so valuable especially to a presenter a speaker a trainer you know if you're a teacher or a trainer that this this technique can work really well quite often especially in training sessions we really want to ensure that the audience understands what we've delivered. So we've given them a bunch of content, but we're not sure if they really understand what we've laid out. So a good way to kind of reinforce that and to check or do a checkup to see if they if they um, retain the information is to ask a question of the audience or ask them their understanding, right? The problem with that is that a lot of times, especially when we're covering something brand new, something that's that's foreign to the audience, and we've covered some some something crucial, especially that that is important to them, but they don't have a whole lot of experience with them. If if I just kind of raise my my hand and ask a question, so so um, so what do you guys think about what I've covered so far? Right? A lot of times, I'm not going to give a whole get a whole lot of responses. I'm not going to get people to really respond quickly anyway because they're uncomfortable they're not really they're not really comfortable with the content yet they're not really comfortable they haven't really used it on on a on a real life basis and so as a result they they I may not get the kind of responses that I'm that I'm really looking for so a better technique is what we call the think right share method where basically I'm preparing the group in advance that I'm going to ask them to participate with me I'm going to ask them a question by getting them to think about a question that I'm going to ask them, <laughs> right? So it's basically it's it's kind of set it up to where I say, I'm, I'm, in a moment I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about the answer real quick, right? And so it's it's preparing them, and then once they think about it, then I'm going to ask them to write down some of those answers that they've come up with so far, and then share it. So I, I'll give you an example that's in real life. So I often start my presentation classes. With a question like, um, since since a lot of times when we're covering uh, uh, how to reduce public speaking fear, I want to I want to find out where the audience is in that arena. You know, are am I am I speaking to an audience that is pretty comfortable in front of a group and they just want a little bit of help? Am I, am I are there some people in the audience or in my class that are terrified to speak? Maybe you have a phobia. You know, so if if any of those things are happening, I kind of want to know that. You know, I want to I want to know that as I'm as I'm getting into the class or I'm starting to teach, so that I'm better prepared as the as their coach, right? So a lot of times I'll start with a quick question, and so I'll ask a question like, you know, think about all the different physical things 
that happen to a person's body when he or she gets nervous speaking in front of a group. And all I've done right at that point is I've just asked him to think about it. So think about all of the different physical things that happen to a person's body when that person gets nervous speaking in front of a group. And then I pause for just a second, maybe two. And then after you've thought of a few of those things, if you would just write down the first few that popped into your head, just write it down. And a lot of times I'll have, you know, they'll have a manual or something like that. I'll say on page number four in the margin, if you would just jot down two, three, four of the things that, that you've thought about. And then I'm watching, I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing, and I'm making sure that everybody has actually written at least one thing down. I've asked them to write down two or three things, but as long as they write down at least one, now I can get them to quote, quote, unquote, share. Now, I, I'm not a big, you know, I'm more of a driver type person, you know, so I'm, I'm not the kind of person that's touchy-feely or likes to, to share, you know, things, you know. So to me, that's kind of fingernails on a chalkboard. Um, so if you're, if you're uncomfortable with that, thir- that, that term, the term share, then just you can replace it with the word discuss, right? So think, write, discuss. So basically, after they've written those things down, now when I ask the question, um, then I'm much more likely to get people responses to, to respond to me and, and get more of them. So like, for instance, I might just ask the question at the end, after they've written things down, I might say something like, uh, if you would just kind of t- shout out some of the things that you've written down and I'll, I'll just pause. And as they start to, to, um, kind of say one of those things, I will, there's a technique that we're going to cover in just a moment that works really, really well. Um, that I, and I'll show you how to get more people to kind of respond. So once you get that first response, you can encourage other people to respond. But basically, the think, write, share can work really, really well. Now, I, just to kind of give you a, a better explanation of why this is so valuable, especially in training programs, internal training programs, especially for your companies and that kind of thing, is that a lot of times when people are, are with their peers, they don't like to take risks, right? So, so if, they're, if we're covering something and they're afraid that what they're going to say is going to be wrong or deemed to be wrong by their peers, a lot of times people just won't say anything. You know, they'll just, they'll just uh, keep quiet. So you can miss out on some really good interaction if we don't do something like a think, write, share to kind of get people to open up. The neat thing is, is that... If, if I just ask the question of the group without doing, without getting them to write it down, without, you know, thinking about it first, that kind of thing, then um, I'm likely to get the most outgoing or extroverted people to participate, but not really the introverted people. They're not going to really participate. They're going to sit back and watch. Whereas if I have them write something down, then I can kind of look around the room. I don't necessarily have to call on every single person around the table or in the in the class to participate but if i really want somebody to participate i can just kind of look and can say hey what are some of the other things that you've written down and then look at a person that i want to participate i don't have to say jamie what did you write down right i can just look at the person and if the person does have something that he or she wants to share they will you know if they're if they're uncomfortable I'm not going to put them on the spot, right? So that's, those are just kind of different techniques that you can use, but it, it works really, really well. Now, a, a variation of the think, write, share that works really well as well, especially in a group discussion type thing, is where you you uh, have a you, you divide your team up into groups, or divide the the classroom or the the uh, the session up in the the audience anyway up into small groups. Have them discuss something within their group, and then have one person in the group report on it. 
so so basically, um, you know, all we're really doing is dividing. Let's say we've got 20 people in a in a classroom, or 20 people in an audience, or maybe a hundred. Heck, you know, then um, we can divide them into teams of five or six people, and then and then um, have have them discuss a question or a series of questions, and have them come to a consensus on what they think as a group the answer to that question might be. And then have one person kind of report on it. So let's say we got a group of 20 people. We divide that group of 20 people into five groups of five, have them all uh, discuss the same question, and then have four of the people, basically one person from each group, kind of stand up and give a report to the to the entire group. And I, I give you some examples of where this works really, really well. Um, a lot of times when I'm teaching a, a leadership class especially, we do a lot of small group activities in, in our leadership classes. So, uh, for instance, like one of the things that we teach is how to lead meetings better. Uh, specifically, one of the sessions is on problem-solving meetings. And so we'll have small groups actually identify a problem, a real-life problem in one of their companies that they and, and go through a process to help them solve that problem. It's a really cool activity, but if I, if I have a 20-person class and I've got four groups like that that are working, each one of those groups are likely to finish at a slightly different time period. It's going to take one group a little longer than another, and and so I don't want groups sitting around doing nothing. So when that first group finishes, when they first when that first group comes to an ending to the activity, then I'll go to that group and I'll have typically I'll have a slide up on the on the slideshow that will have two or three different questions, summary questions about the activity. And then I'll just say, hey, while we're waiting for the other teams to kind of catch up, if you would, in your small group, just kind of come to a consensus on what you think the answer to those questions on the board might be. And then walk off. right? So, And they'll start to discuss them. And then uh, the second group kind of finishes up, and I do the same thing. Third group kind of finishes up. And then as soon as the fourth group finishes, I don't have them do the same thing. I, I will have them participate with the with the rest of the group as a whole now because I've got all four of the groups finished, and so at that point I'll kind of go back to the to the front of the room and say, hey, now uh, so the groups that finished a little earlier, we had you discussing some of the questions that we have up on the board here. So let me let's kind of go through that as a group. Question number one was blah 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 blah, and I read it and say, what did you guys come up with in your small groups as to the answer to that question? And now it starts a discussion. Then uh, so now I can get feedback. From, from the group. So that's just a different kind of technique that, that you can use that works really, really well. Now, once you start to use these, these techniques, these, um, these processes to, to get a more interactive kind of presentation, especially in training programs and that kind of thing, there are some technical kind of skills that you want to keep in mind, some technical things about how to use this and really get a, a good result with it. So the first thing is that once you ask a question of the audience from the whole group, right? So this is not the think right share or the or the group discussion, but we're asking a question of the audience. You have to pause and wait for them to answer. <laughs> and it's weird because I've talked about this for years. When when we ask a question, when we stand up in front of the group and we ask a question of our audience, we often slip into this, you know, this um, uh, this strange, you know, Star Trek style space time continuum where where time slows down. And um, what what tends to happen is we ask the question, and in our mind, thirty two minutes have gone by, but in reality, it's just a split second. And so, as a result, we ask the question, and then before we even give a, get our first response from anybody in the audience, we start answering our own question. 
it, it's very uncomfortable to stand up in front of the group and not say anything, but it's vital that you kind of stop and pause and wait for that re- that response. Now, the reason why this is, is important and the reason why that pause occurs is that a lot of times the people who you've asked the question of, they didn't know the question was coming, right? That's why the Think Right Chair works a whole lot better. But if they don't know the question was coming, then they don't really, they haven't really prepared an answer. They haven't really thought through an answer. And so a lot of times they just want to think about what they want to say first. And, and, and more importantly than that, a lot of times folks don't want to be the first person to, to respond. And so if you just kind of stand up there and pause, that, that pause will not only be uncomfortable for you, but it will actually start to be just a little bit uncomfortable for the people in the audience as well. And as a result, somebody will say something. And then when somebody says something, now it kind of breaks the ice and more people will, will start to, to tune in. So, so, um, it, so basically, you just have to be careful. You have to, to, once you ask that question, you got to pause and then wait for that response to come in. Now, if, God forbid, you ask the question and you don't get any, I mean, you've waited 32 minutes and nobody has responded, or... You ask the question, and even worse, you get answers that you really weren't expecting, your, your answers that are leading you on a tangent. It probably just means that we've asked the question in a difficult way. It probably just means that either the audience didn't understand what question that we're asking, or the question is too complicated, and as a result, they're, they're not sure exactly what you want. So if, you, if either of those things happen, if you're getting either incorrect answers or you're getting uh, no responses whatsoever, then you have to kind of fall on your sword at that point, and you, and you have to take responsibility for asking a bad question <laughs> and it's real easy what I'll, a lot of times what i'll do is when i kind of feel this happening i'll just say you know what let me let me re-ask that question and a lot of times folks will kind of laugh a little bit which is great and then i'll re-ask the question a different way and a lot of times i'll get faster responses that way by the way too so i've, I've kind of fallen on my sword a little bit um so so it's, it's okay to kind of restate the question a different way or re-ask the question a different way if you're not getting the answers that you're that you're really looking for. So, um, okay. That, and, and thirdly, in the technical part, so so the 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 three two things that we've covered so far on the technical how to ask a question is once you ask a question, wait for an answer. If you ask a question, and you don't get any responses, then just re-ask the question a different way. And then thirdly is. When you do get those responses, you got to give the audiences what I call an attaboy. So one of the most important secrets to getting great audience participation is to positively reinforce the action that you want to encourage. So when some so when you ask a question and, and of the audience and the audience responds then you want to do, basically, there's two things that you want to do. Number one is you want to give them the verbal attaboy. And that just means something that lets them know that you they gave you what you were looking for. And it could just be something as, as quick as perfect, good, right. You know, just something like that right at the beginning of the, of the response. And then what you want to do is you want to repeat it back, repeat back what they've said or rephrase what they said. That's the way I like to do it, by the way. Rephrase the response slightly so that it lets the person know, man, that's exactly what you were looking for. So I'll give an example. So I, I, I gave the example earlier about the question that I tend to ask is, what physically happens to a person when, they're, when they get nervous? And so let's say that I ask that of, a, of, the, of the audience and the person the first person that responds says, 
the um, the heartbeat um, increases or a faster heart rate. Let's just say that they say faster heart rate. Well, I might rephrase that and just saying right faster heart rate, which is fine by the way that that works. But if I say it a slightly different way, for some reason it adds more impact to it. Now I don't know why it works, but it does. Right. So I might say something like right. Yeah, the heartbeat does speed up. So I'm, I'm now reinforcing what they've said. They've said something correct. I've reinforced it, right? And it, like I said, it doesn't take much, just slightly rephrasing um, what they've said. If, if you think about the risk that a person is taking by speaking out loud when you ask a question like this, you can see how if we don't reinforce that comment, then the person may wonder if what he or she said is correct. You know, for instance, if, if the person says... Uh, it says, yeah, faster heart rate. And I just kind of look at them and go, hmm, faster heart rate? Now all of a sudden, they're go they're, now all of a sudden, if I just stopped right there, if I didn't give them an attaboy or something like that, a lot of times most of the other people in the audience are now wondering, uh, is that what he wanted? Is that correct? I'm not so sure. And so as a result, now all participation just kind of shuts down. The person who did participate, who took the risk, has now been at least in his or her own mind, has been kind of shut down. No, that's not really what I'm looking for. That's not what you said. But by not responding or responding in a negative way, that's kind of what that person has perceived now. And and so as a result, it can, it can shut down. It may increase the risk to anybody else that is now wanting to, to answer. And so as a result, they, they zip their lips and they're not going to say anything, right? So and so okay so basically those verbal attaboys and the repeating that's that's kind of step one and then the, the second part of that though is once they've they've given you something and you've given them that positive attaboy another good way to reinforce it in a positive way is to write it down you can write down what they've said on a whiteboard or on a flip chart and and when people see their words up in front of the group it, it basically, it makes them feel that what they've said is important. Man, that was important enough that the guy who's in front of the room or the woman who's in front of the room has actually written that down. So this little measure will, will both help you build rapport with your audience. It will also help you remember what everybody said. The neat thing is, is that once you've kind of written down three, four, five, six of those those items that they've given us, and by the way, that's a, that's an important thing as well, is don't just take the first one that they say. Try to come up with five, six, seven, eight different items. You've written them down on the board now, and now you can repeat them back. So basically, you go back to your bullet point. So you know, so what we've covered here is we we've uh, we've talked about the different things that happen to people when when they get nervous, and we said that the heart rate increases, breathing changes, and I'll just go through, bam, 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 and, and basically reinforce all those things that they've said, and now, basically, they've been able to prove my bullet point to me. So it's a really neat technique. I use this a lot, especially in training sessions and that kind of thing, because it, it really has a lot of, of, uh, of great value in, pre in presenting and, and, and being seen as being a professional presenter as well. So the last couple of things that we're going to cover are other types of audience participation that you may not be able to use as often as the ones that we've kind of mentioned before, but in certain situations, they can get you a pretty good result as well. Um, so the, the first type of kind of other types of, of audience participation is what we call rhetorical questions. This is where rhetorical questions are those questions that you ask of the audience 
but you really don't necessarily care if they if they respond, you know. I mean, obviously we do want to respond, but but most of the time folks aren't actually going to physically respond to us. Um, now, I I when I first started training to be a a speaker, a professional speaker, um, the guy the person who was my mentor, he basically kind of said, you know, point blank, he said. You never ask a question of the audience unless you really want them to answer it. And so basically what he was saying was, you really want to stay away from rhetorical questions. And the reason why he said that, by the way, was because there's a lot of negative that can occur with your with your rhetorical questions. If This is what I was talking about before, is that if the, if the audience believes that you're trying to manipulate them, then they're going to respond in a very negative way, and they may actually even shut down. So you want to be very, very careful. I mean, a good analogy here, a good example of this is um, I, I had a I had an insurance guy come I, come come to my house uh, and uh, try to sell me life insurance, and I actually needed life insurance. You know, at the, at, it was my company was starting to grow, we're starting to make a little bit of money. You know, our standard of living has increased pretty dramatically, and you know, my wife and I said, you know, maybe we should probably look at buying some life insurance. The guy came, the first guy that came to our um, house though, he was sitting across our, our dining room table. And one of the first things that he said was, now, Mr. Standard, if something happens to you, you do want your wife to be protected, don't you? And I, oh, I man, it was like, whoa, it was like, it, it, I just cringed <laughs> when the guy said that. I'm like, this bastard trying to manipulate me into doing something that I, that may not be in my best interest or my wife's best interest. And I, uh, it, it was a very short sales call after that. Now I ended up buying life insurance, but I ended up buying life insurance for somebody else uh, a, a very short time later. So keep that in mind. The 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 rhetorical audience participation questions have a a higher propensity anyway to cause a negative reaction. So you want to be very, very careful about using them. Um, one of the biggest drawbacks to the rhetorical is that a lot of times speakers will actually overuse them. If you use them once, you'll probably get away with it. If you use it two, three, four times, now all of a sudden it starts to get a little hokey. So be very careful about it, especially if you happen to be a fairly good speaker, you know, an energetic, enthusiastic, kind of expressive type speaker. A lot of times we folks who have that type of strength as a presenter tend to think way more quickly than what we can speak. And so as a result, we need to pause. Every once in a while we just kind of have to pause and think about what we want to say next. And instead of just pausing, a lot of times the technique that a lot of folks will use is they'll they'll ask a question of the audience. And they don't really care if the audience answers. They're just giving themselves a chance to kind of pause. And that's where, that's where you'll get into real trouble. So you'll be very careful about rhetorical audience participation questions, especially used overtly and in a manipulative way and or being overused. So be very careful about that. Now, with all that being said, uh, there are some situations where I found rhetorical audience participation questions can actually work really well in your favor. Audiences trust speakers who they can actually relate to. And they they trust speakers who are like them. You know, if I see you in front of the room and you sound like just like me, or you sound like you have problems like I have, and I can relate to that, then all of a sudden I'm, I'm it's easier now for me to build rapport with that person, or it's easier for that person to build rapport with me, right? So, so if you begin your presentation with a statement that everyone in the audience can actually agree with, it can sometimes help you build that rapport. You know, for um. 
for instance, um, you know, I, I might start a presentation class with a statement like, uh, would you agree that most people have at least some type of public speaking fear? I mean, that's a that's an easy because I've I haven't made it um, over aggressive. You know, if I said, would you agree with me that everybody has public speaking fear? Now all of a sudden, there are going to be some people in the audience that will go, eh, I don't think everybody does, right? But if I say, would you agree with me that that uh, that at least that most people have at least some type of public speaking fear? Everybody can agree with that, right? So that's a statement that everybody agrees with, and and if I in because now I am saying something that the people in the audience actually agree with, it helps me build that rapport with them. So, like I said, you don't necessarily want to overuse that, but it is it can sometimes get you started off on the right foot with an audience if you if you kind of start with a, a general statement. Um, another one might be another example that uh, that I've used in the past would be. Um, uh, would you agree that that most business presentations are pretty boring? Right? So that's an easy one for people to agree with. So, uh, and I might even add a little more to that. I might say, would you agree with me that that most business presentations are pretty boring? So if you're just a little little bit more interesting than the last person who spoke, then your audience will think that you're a great speaker, right? It's it's basically it's letting me teach the audience a, a simple truth. That they might not have come to the conclusion with, they, they might not have come to that conclusion on their own, but by me explaining it a little bit, they go, yeah, yeah, that is, I think that is true, right? I, I think I agree with that. So basically, I'm helping kind of teach them something and get it by getting them to agree. So anyway, so rhetorical questions can be used if you use them effectively. You can use them, you know, maybe once in a presentation to, to help you get off on the right foot with your with your audience. Uh, but you want to be very careful of it. All right, second type of audience participation that has um, a little bit of challenges with it that you want to be careful of is the yes or no or show of hands, right? Um, to, to me personally, this is the one that I use very infrequently. <laughs> and the reason why is because it just has, it has an opportunity to do the exact opposite of what I want. You know, like for instance, when we talked earlier about the, the um the the uh, opinion asking question that's open ended now if i get everybody to participate in that i've gained a consensus now now the audience is now agreeing on the point that i'm trying to make whereas if i ask a yes or no question i'm now dividing the audience so you want to be very careful about about using this now with all that being said there are some situations where it might be important that you separate the audience. Um, a good example of this would be, um, let's say that let's say that you have a um, you're leading a sales conference, and you want to encourage each one of the salespeople at that sales conference to actually get to their the the gold level or the platinum level or the whatever it is that you call it in your in your organization that that level of sales that gets the award or gets the bonus or whatever so if if i happen to be the the um facilitator of that of that meeting i might say at, at some point in the presentation i might say hey if i can have all of the the gold award members, uh, please stand. And I have all those folks kind of stand up. Now, all of a sudden, that's kind of a yes or no question. It's kind of a show of hands. It's just done a different way. So when all those people now stand up, um, I can now call attention to them in a positive way. I, and basically, subtly, it's, it's kind of a psychology 
Because now what I'm doing as the as the presenter is I'm getting all the people that are still seated to think, dang, I should have been standing. <laughs> right? So so basically it's a it's a way to kind of set apart an elite group. Um, I, I, I give an example of of, uh, of this in real life and how one of my friends is, uh, uses this really effectively. Uh, one of my friends uh, leads the uh, uh, conferences or, or seminars where he teaches people how to be uh, professional speakers, right? And a lot of times he'll have 300 plus people at each one of his seminars, and it's two or three days depending on the, the seminar that he's doing. Now he charges a fairly nominal fee. It's probably going to be you know five hundred dollars, a thousand bucks, something like that, to to come to one of his seminars. But um, the way that he makes most of his income, though, is with what is with his coaching group. Now he'll have a hundred people, two hundred people, whatever it is, every year that will pay a pretty good chunk of fee <laughs> to be in this in this group. And um, and with that, they get a lot of one-on-one attention. So they're going to get basically he's going to be their personal coach as a motivational speaker for for a whole year for the for the fee that he charges. And um, now, a lot of times, what will happen is somebody will pay that fee, and either they didn't use his services, and and so they've decided not to renew, or sometimes they'll do it for two, three years or so, and, and they've gotten to such a high level that he's not adding as much value anymore as what, what he was in, in the very beginning. And so he'll have openings kind of come up. So every year, if he, he might lose three, four, five, ten or so people. And the way that he refills those spots is somewhere during his three-day convention or three-day presentation where he's got 300 people, 300 people in in the audience, he'll say, "Hey, if I can have all of my platinum groups, you know, my my guys, please stand. You know, if you're part of my coaching group, if you would go ahead and please stand." And then at that point, he'll say, "Now look around the room, because if you have questions about anything that I've said here on stage, we're going to find out how to implement this stuff in real life. Ask these guys. These are the guys that are the movers and the shakers. These are the guys that are." So he's basically creating a, a very elite group out of out of the folks that have paid the extra fee to kind of work with him, right? And then, so the 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 interesting thing about what he's doing there, though, is he is actually using that as a way to promote additional people coming into that group without actually using it as a sales technique. So what he's doing is he's setting the stage now for um, the, the folks that are still sitting in the audience, just like in the sale, the, the, um, the, the, um, sales meeting that I was talking about before the folks that didn't stand up are going, what's a platinum? <laughs> what's a, what's a membership group? What? That's new. I haven't heard that. These might be first timers, you know, that have, don't know that he offers in that additional service, and now they're he's now pulling them toward him. He's now getting them to want to be a part of that group before they know anything about it, because they want to be the people that stand up that he that he that he um, praises, right? So. Anyway, so like I said, there are some techniques that you can use the the yes or no or short hands or whatever the the technique is that you want to use. But for me personally, it's kind of not my style. I don't I don't I don't like to do that. For me, that's more of a manipulation type thing, and so I I tend to kind of stay away from it. But you know, to each his own, right? So um, another type of uh, the final thing that we're going to cover here on on this podcast is a, a a type of audience participation that that can work pretty well in certain instances. It's where you you have a contest or a game, right? So um, if you want to reinforce content that you've shared earlier in your presentation, 
then you might you might finish up with a, a game game show game or um, uh, something like or contest of some type, right? Um, back when I used to do a lot of sales training, and I don't do that as much anymore. I mean, our company still does a professional sales training for salespeople. I personally don't do it as much uh, anymore, um, uh, but uh, it is a lot of fun, and I do enjoy it. But one of the things that I used to do a lot is, let's say I was going to do a two-day sales presentation or sales class. At the end of the first day, because salespeople are really competitive, I might do a, a, a Jeopardy-style game show. You know, so I'll have I would have. Um, you know, questions in categories that might, you know, the first question is an easy one and it's worth 100 and the next one is 200, 300, 400, 500, that kind of thing, right? And and then I'll divide the, the big group. Let's say it's a 20-person classroom and I divide them up into four teams of five, right? And so they would, uh, and then just do a, a game. We, we'd play a game at the end based on the stuff that I had talked about earlier in the day. Those, that, that's all the answers. And so we'll see how much they retained the information for that short period of time. So it's a good way to kind of reinforce the content. It's kind of fun. It gets the competitive flowing, uh, com- the competition flowing, that kind of thing. So it, it, it can work. Um, and by the way, if you, if you have a situation where you want to incorporate one of these games or game shows, we actually have that stuff. Um, there are our team build, the team building side of the company, the Leaders Institute, uh, actually, we, we create those for companies. Companies will actually send us a list of questions. We'll put them into a, a Jeopardy style or a category style uh, uh, game show. We'll put it on a laptop, and then we just ship the laptop to you with a return address, and they ship it back. They, you ship it back to us when you're done. So it's uh, so a very simple, uh, low-cost way to kind of do that. You just rent a laptop from us for a couple of days. And um, and if you're interested in that, you can go to just go to leadersinstitute.com, look up the game show um, tab, and, and it will kind of show you. Um, okay, so with all that being said, uh, you no matter how you use audience participation in your presentations, you probably want to use something. If it's just you speaking to the audience, if you're not getting them involved in your presentation, if you're not engaging your audience in some way, then it's probably going to be kind of boring, right? So you want to get them involved. So regardless of which type of activity that you choose, you want to choose some type of activity. So go through the list. When you design your next presentation, go through this this podcast list and, and, and ask yourself, which ones of these things might be most effective in helping me get the audience involved in that presentation? And if you do that, you're likely to get some, some pretty good results. Thanks a lot for being a part of the Fearless Presentations podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.